This is the Cancer Radio Network. Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. You all, if you can, bring other people with you to the appointment. I think that's really important because you're only going to absorb a fraction of what's said. And the more people you bring with you, the more that you're likely to pick up more of the things that are said. I think it's really helpful to bring people with you if you can. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, offering stories of information, inspiration, and hope to those affected by colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 73 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this episode. A lot of exciting things going on, but what I am so incredibly excited about, you've heard me talk about it before on the show, is the upcoming documentary film where I get to share the story of my cancer experience. And the name of the documentary film is The Messengers, a podcast documentary. And the film is actually getting ready to be launched Uh, Pre-orders are now being taken on iTunes. Uh, For those folks who do not uh, use Apple devices, I'm uh, told that if it does well on iTunes, which it looks like it's going to be, uh, that won't be an issue. It looks like it's going to take off very well and launch very strongly, that uh, shortly thereafter, the film will be available on Amazon. And hopefully, hopefully, by the end of the year, we'll grab the attention of the folks over at Netflix. This uh, documentary film actually started at a podcast conference where I happened to be in attendance. This was at a PodFest down here in Tampa back in early 2015, and that's when the filming began. And um, I had the opportunity to share my story, actually, correction, it was actually 2016, excuse me, 2016 uh, in Tampa, and uh, I was interviewed uh, briefly uh, as part of the uh, promotional clip, and then a few months later, the film crew came to my home and interviewed me and my wife, Linda, to share my story about how I got into podcasting, and I get to talk about and really have the honor to talk about how you, all of my fellow patients, our survivors and caregivers, inspired me to get into podcasting uh, back in February 2015. It, the film is a year, was a year and a half in the making, and it launches officially on iTunes on August 23rd. Pre-orders are now available. You can go to the iTunes store under Movies and search The Messengers, a podcast documentary, and pre-orders are now available for only $5.99. Once the film releases on August 23rd, it'll go up to, I think, $9.99. But if you'd asked me even three years ago, let alone further back, Would I ever expect that I would see myself in a feature film? I would have said you were crazy. But 
what a beautiful job uh, the directors of this film uh, did. I, I know you're going to love the film. It talks about podcasting, but it talks about the communities behind podcasting. And uh, they featured, I believe it was five feature stories of which I'm one of them. And it was so moving. And I got to tell you, even though I've seen it many, many times, just seeing it up on screen and, and hearing the story, uh, I've always got to bust out the tissues because even though I know my own story, just seeing it there just is such an emotional experience. So it would mean the world to me if you're a fan of the Colon Cancer Podcast to jump on iTunes, place the pre-order for $5.99. It would mean so much to me because in order for us to get the attention and get the exposure we're looking for in this film and get to places like Netflix, it needs to do very well. And as of the time of this recording, we are sitting number two in pre-orders uh, right behind us, right behind the messengers is a new film coming out with Tom Cruise. So right now we're heading, we're trending above Tom Cruise, but our goal is not to be Tom Cruise. Our goal is to be the number one documentary film uh, launched in the month of August. So uh, if you can help us out and place an order for that film, it would mean the world to me. And if you'd like to see some of the previews and, and get a feel for what the film looks like, you can go on YouTube and search the messengers, a podcast documentary. There's a couple of really, uh, well done and, and beautifully shot uh, promo clips that you'll get to see the film. If you have an ostomy or are undergoing chemotherapy, you know at times it can be a struggle to stay hydrated. That's where H2ORS can help. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution, which is an over-the-counter electrolyte drink mix for dehydration. H2ORS is a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So, for those of you who are struggling to stay hydrated due to an ostomy or chemotherapy, H2ORS can help replenish your fluid and electrolyte levels. It has three times the electrolytes of most sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. If you would like to try a free sample of H2ORS, go to h2ors.com sample and they'll ship one out to you. No strings or hidden costs attached. Also, when you make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the code CCPOD, you will get 10% off your first order. Some events taking place in the colon cancer community coming up in the next month or so. We've got a number of undie run walks up scheduled on the books. We're traveling all over the country. The next stop is coming up on Saturday, August 19th in the Great Northwest. Uh, this is in Tacoma, Washington, the Undy Run Walk event up in Tacoma starting at 7 a.m. at Wright Park. For our friends up there, hope we'll see you out for that event. And that's it for August. Then we turn the page to September, and the first Undie Run Walk is on my birthday. Saturday, September the 9th, the Undie Run Walk in one of my favorite cities, one where I used to live and where uh, many of us have a lot of good uh, colon cancer friends, Ed Yakaki III, 
uh, Kim Hall Jackson, just to name a couple. I'm sure we'll do what they can to be out there. I know Ed, we're wishing you the best, buddy. Ed is recovering from hip replacement surgery, so he's probably not going to be uh, participating, though it would be awesome. I hope he finds a way just to get out there and cheer, cheer on the crowd. I know if he could be out there, he would be. But again, the Yundi Run Walk in Philadelphia on Saturday, September the 9th, 8.30 a.m., uh, check it out. It is taking place at Martin Luther King Drive, right next to the Art Museum. So they won't be too far from the Rocky statue. So good luck to our friends out in Philadelphia. There's an interesting event taking place on Thursday night, September the 14th. Yeah, for those folks in the Washington, D.C. DC area, there's a uh, Hulk Hour Hold'em Casino and Tailgate Party. That's a mouthful. Uh, this is in uh, collaboration with the Mark Holkauer Foundation. It's annual Holkauer Hold'em Casino and Tailgate Party on Thursday, September 14th from 6 to 10 p.m. at the District Architecture Center. And that's located at 421 7th Street Northwest in Washington, D.C. More information on that and all the events can be found on the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. A couple of other undie runs coming up. Uh, on the 17th, the following Saturday, the 17th, we stay in the great state of Philadelphia and we're heading west to Pittsburgh. I've seen so many of my wonderful friends, Stacy Hurt, uh, Tabitha Cavanaugh. Tabitha, by the way, will be our next guest on the Colon Cancer Podcast. I know they're both uh, working hard to raise money to support their effort for the Undie Run Walk taking place in Pittsburgh on Saturday, September 17th at 9 a.m. And that is taking place at Southside Heritage Trail. And then the following Saturday, we've got a lot of undies going on on Saturday. And September 23rd, the folks and our friends in Detroit, Michigan, were coming your way. And that event is taking place at Detroit River Walk Rivard Plaza at 9 a.m. on September 23rd. And then to wrap up September, our final stop is Saturday, September 30th in Cleveland, Ohio, for our friends out there. And that run run walk is taking place at the Flats at East Bank Alternative Transport, uh, excuse me, the Flats at East Bank. And that's again, Saturday, September 30th at 9 a.m. in Cleveland, Ohio. I want to welcome and say thank you to our newest sponsor, Exact Sciences, manufacturer of Cologuard. Cologuard is the first and only FDA-approved, non-invasive, stool DNA-based colon cancer screening test. It's for patients 50 and older at average risk of colon cancer. Cologuard is shipped directly to you where you can provide a sample in the comfort of your own home and ship it back to the lab, postage prepaid. Cologuard is not for everyone. It is not a replacement for diagnostic or surveillance colonoscopy in high-risk individuals. Any positive result should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. Cologuard is available by prescription only. Ask your doctor if Cologuard is right for you. Find out more information by visiting their website at cologuardtest.com. Speaking of Cleveland, did you know about the upcoming Colon Cancer Alliance annual conference? This is taking place in Cleveland on November 1st and 2nd, Wednesday and Thursday in 
partnership with the Cleveland Clinic. The name of the conference is being branded as Tomorrow Can't Wait, the 2017 Colon Cancer Alliance Conference. My wife and I will be there. The Colon Cancer Podcast will have a table. We'll be podcasting from the event. So if you're not able to make it, you'll be able to tune in through the Colon Cancer Alliance website and we'll be interviewing uh, many of the speakers and attendees and posting them on the website so that you can tune in. But we hope you can be there. Uh, If you haven't applied for a scholarship, uh, we're getting very, very close to the deadline. There is an opportunity to get some scholarship if uh, financial hardship might prevent you from otherwise attending. And you can learn more about that at coloncancerconference.com has all the information. We hope we will see you in Cleveland on November 1st and 2nd. My guest this week is Dr. Timothy Cannon. Uh, Dr. Cannon is a board-certified medical oncologist, and one of his specialties is colorectal cancer. Uh, He was referred to me through a previous guest, that's Dr. Sage Bolte, Uh, that goes back to episode 69. You may recall, and if you don't, you certainly want to check out this episode, it's been one of our most popular. Dr. Bolte and I talked about sex and intimacy when dealing with cancer, either as a patient or a caregiver. You can find that episode at thecoloncancerpodcast.com forward slash 069. Dr. Tim Cannon and I had a wonderful conversation. He was really informative. I really enjoyed talking to him. We talked about uh, new therapies that are uh, coming uh, in the very near future. We talked about uh, immunotherapy and what that means and how to know if you might be a candidate for for immunotherapy. It was a really informative conversation. I know you're going to agree. So join me now for my conversation with Dr. Timothy Cannon. Dr. Cannon, welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast. I really appreciate you making the time to uh, speak with me this evening. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to speak with you. Well, I appreciate you reaching out to me. Um, How did you hear about uh, the Colon Cancer Podcast? Well, your last episode was done by, uh, uh, you interviewed a person that I work with very closely, Sage Bolte, who um, is an incredible advocate for uh, cancer patients. Uh, she's interested in a wide range of, of things, and, and uh, among them is, uh, you know, intimacy with cancer, and she, you know, what she spoke to you about, and um, she told me about it, and I uh, passed it on to a few patients, listened to an episode myself, and I thought I thought it was really great. And, um, and oh, thank you. Yeah. So so happy to be on. Well. Well, your timing is perfect. Uh, I know you recently attended uh, the ASCO conference. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But um, one of the things that I noticed is that you serve um, on the tumor board at at Inovashar. And I, I imagine that there's patients that don't even know what a tumor board is. Yes. Yeah. So generally speaking, a tumor board is a, a conference where multiple doctors from different specialties get together and talk about um, talk about people with cancer and, and uh, make decisions about their treatment plan. Uh, those kind of tumor boards have been going on for decades, you know, where the colorectal surgeon gets together with medical oncologists and pathologists and radiologists and um, uh, radiation oncologists and uh, 
get to get put their heads together and decide on a treatment plan that's coordinated and involves all of the relevant specialties. Uh, what I act, what I do uh, um, is I I um, am, uh, lead a, a molecular tumor board, and that's a new type of tumor board that is focused on DNA findings in tumors. And uh, this is a relatively new concept, and uh, we may want to get into it a little bit later. But the idea being that you know, for someone who's tried a lot of treatments. Uh, we try to look at uh, the DNA that's in the tumor and uh, see what uh, changes in the DNA may have been causing this tumor to occur in the first place and what may be, what DNA changes may be driving it, driving the tumor to grow. And then we see if there are any viable treatment options that are directed at those DNA changes. So it's kind of a different way of thinking about treating cancer, you know, for, for, decades, we said, well, if you have breast cancer, you get this first, this second, this third. If you have colon cancer, you get this first, this second, this third. Here, we think about it a little differently. We say, you know, um, you've been through treatments uh, A and B, um, but, um, you know, because you have a BRAF mutation, we're going to treat you with a BRAF inhibitor combination. And uh, it doesn't matter as much, matters a little bit, doesn't matter as much whether it's colon cancer or pancreas cancer or breast cancer or melanoma. We want to treat that specific DNA change. And uh, that's a sort of a new way of, of thinking about cancer treatment. It's um, a field that has a lot of room for improvement. And, um, you know, I wouldn't get upset with your doctor if he hasn't done DNA sequencing yet because it is not a standard of care. But it's something that we are trying to, to learn about and uh, use to our advantage. And we're trying to find ways, besides chemotherapy, to give people long remissions with pills or uh, the types of drugs that would, you know, damage, that would uh, block a, uh, the product of a DNA mutation, which you only have on your cancer cells and not on your normal cells. So, uh, so in theory. You know, you could have a, get a great treatment that, uh, that doesn't cause as many side effects, is easy to tolerate. And the strongest of examples of those out there are like Gleevec for, you know, chronic leukemia, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is taking, you know, or, um, you know, a, a BRAF inhibitor for melanoma, which uh, is, you know, an incredible pill for that disease. And many more examples are now coming out. And I expect that in the years to come, this will just keep growing and growing. It wasn't even practical to sequence DNA until really about 2012, 2013. And that's been one of the biggest challenges when it comes to cancer treatment is that chemotherapy, as most of us know it, uh, doesn't distinguish between healthy cells and and cancer cells, correct? That's right. That's the that is the biggest. Uh, you know, there's a lot of problems. With, I mean, chemotherapy is very useful in so many situations, but there's also a lot of room for improvement. You know, the weaknesses of chemotherapy is that are the side effects, right? Because it sort of indiscriminately kills fast growing cells. So you know, definitely kills many more tumor cells than anything else, but there is a bit of collateral damage, as I'm sure you, you and many of your listeners have experienced a bit of. And um, there, uh, it also, you know, we'd like something that works a little better than chemotherapy. Uh, 
chemotherapy is fantastic in so many ways, but but it also, uh, you know, for for most cancers, doesn't work forever, you know, and and uh, we want uh, we want something better, you know, everyone does. When you think about the patients that you've interacted with, Dr. Cannon, um, I imagine you see a cross section uh, in terms of how active patients choose to be in their treatment plan, how knowledgeable they are. Um, what are some of the questions that you would advise uh, a recently diagnosed patient to ask their oncologist that you wish were asked more frequently than they are? Right. Hey, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I think, uh, questions about side effects are very important. You know, you really want to understand what side effects to look for and what, how to combat those side effects. I think asking about clinical trials is always a good idea. You know, I think, uh, Asking your doctor, do you think a clinical trial would help me right now? And then also asking them, you know, do you think a clinical trial would help me down the road? And um, I, I think that's a key question that usually people don't don't answer. You know, clinical trials are um, can be really useful. You know, and I think sometimes people people that have gotten cancer sometimes think you know the clinical trials are really for the scientists and the you know more than me. Uh, but the reality is that you know. Uh, there are a lot of studies that show that people who enroll in clinical trials have a better outcome than people who don't, because you're really getting the best and newest drugs. You know, it takes a long time for these drugs to be approved by the FDA, and so you've got a chance to get a great a great drug up front. You know, sometimes there's not a great clinical trial option. Sometimes it's too far. Sometimes, and I think in most cases, it's not the right thing to do first. But you know, if you're someone that, that you know requires being treated with a few different treatments because the cancer is growing, I think really it's really important to look into clinical trials and not, uh, well, let, let, not think of yourself. Let, let's your, rewind a little. Yeah. Let's, let's rewind a little. There may be folks listening that don't even know what a clinical, clinical trial right. is. So uh, if you could take a couple steps back and explain what is a clinical trial and, and what are the different types? Yeah, you're right. That's a good, good question. So I think, uh, you know, basically a clinical trial is um, an experiment of a new drug. So, um, you know, it, it means that you're getting a type of treatment that, uh, that uh, researchers are just learning about and learning how well it works. Um, and now, clinical trials go through many phases. And first, they test them for safety, and then they test them for efficacy. Before they've done any of that, they've used them in a lot of animals and in test tubes and and um you know researchers are generally very careful about making sure they're safe and so you know uh, but but there's always sort of when the downside to a clinical trial is just the unknown you don't know exactly how well it's going to work or if it's going to be a successful clinical trial the uh the upside to clinical trials are that these are drugs that have a lot of promise otherwise they wouldn't have made it to the point in the clinical trial system where they were ready to be given to, to human beings. So, but I'm again, getting ahead of myself. Sorry. But basically, <laughs> that's, that's a okay. clinical trial is a, uh, is, is a, a way that we, um, you know, test, test new drugs and new, um, new treatments and, 
and um, not, they don't have to be for drugs. It could be a new surgery. It could be a new technique. It could be a, you know, um, <coughs> really new anything. And um, it, it's, uh, but it's, it, you know, when you're in the clinical trial, they're testing to see if the, if this, uh, the, the treatment works. I see. And talk about the uh, patient pathology report. Is that something that patients should ask to see? And if so, what is the information that they want to glean from that report? Yeah, I think um, pathology reports are important. I think, Lee, whenever you think about what the patient should know, you know, what a patient should know, I think there are has to be some degree of trust between a doctor and a patient. You know, there's there there's no way you can really, you know, in in two weeks learn everything you need to know about a pathology report and know enough to sort of change, you know, disagree with your doctor's treatment. I think pathology reports are complex. And so I think this is one of the areas where you just you do have to trust your doctor a little bit. Um, but you know I think it's important to know what your cancer is called, you know, and um, so um, you know, for example, where did it start? You know, that's the key, key thing that I see a lot of people get a little confused about. Like if they have a colon cancer that travels to the lung and the liver, they sometimes call it a liver cancer or a lung cancer. And that's not how doctors think about it. That's not how, that's not sort of the language we use. You know, it's like if a, if a guy's from China, the Chinese man in China travels to Ecuador, he's still Chinese, you know, he's still Chinese. You know, that's how I think about cancer. You know, if you're if you're a, um, you know, if you started in the colon, you travel to the liver, you're still a colon cancer that traveled to the liver. And so that's the first thing I think, you know, concept that you have to know, because if you're looking for clinical trials or trying to get a second opinions, you have to, you know, be able to tell them what you have. And, and so a colon cancer that traveled to the liver is a colon cancer. The second part is um, there's always a word that's a descriptor of, uh, you know, of the type of um, cancer it is. It's a description of what it looks like under the microscope. So for colon cancer, the most common type is adenocarcinoma. And that's the common type of colon cancer. And that's, uh, you know, that's what, what we assume people have when they say they have colon cancer. But cancers can be a little bit different. And the, the classic, uh, in other words, you can have a, a cancer that starts in an organ, but is a different type of cell that's making up the cancer. And the classic example of that is like pancreatic cancer. Cancer. You know, there's pancreatic cancer, there's pancreatic adenocarcinoma, which is the more common one, and that's what Patrick Swayze had. And then there's the pan pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, which make up about 5% of pancreatic cancers, but it's a totally different type of cancer with a much different prognosis, totally different treatment. The only thing that's similar is that they start in the pancreas. You know, that's what Steve Jobs had, for instance, a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas. So that's the second thing. So the first question is, where did it start? And then what, what are the cells made up of? And there's a lot of different ones. You know, adenocarcinoma, squamous cell cancer, signet ring cell type is sort of another descriptor. You know, neuroendocrine tumors, sarcomas. These are all descriptions of what the cells uh, look like. And so that's important to know, too. And, of course, stage. Right. And, and and certainly the type of cancer uh, will determine the uh, the treatment plan. Obviously, that's right. Exactly right. 
you know, I have to put it, I have to go back and put in a little plug. You were talking about uh, clinical trials and uh, the exciting announcement that came out a couple of months ago is that people can go to the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org and they have put together a clinical trial finder. Yes. A tool that makes it so much easier for patients uh, to uh, identify in partnership with their treatment team uh, possible clinical trials that might be available to them. From what I understand prior to that, trying to sift through all of that information was a Herculean task, <laughs> to say the least. That, you know, the Colon Cancer Alliance is incredible, and I think that's that's a great feature they have. And, you know, I think um, if you're thinking about a clinical trial, that's a great tool to use. I find that people have trouble navigating those types of tools, though, because they often, again, don't know what exactly what type of cancer they have or what stage. And you really need that information to uh, to navigate that that search engine. So that's where your uh, that's where your doctor comes comes in handy. It comes in handy. You know, um, by the way, if, if you if, if 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 you don't have the ability to do it, there are some other resources. Like if you go to the uh, National Cancer Institute website to, to can um, and just in Google type in cancer clinical trials, there's another website there, and you'll actually have an icon pop up that has a, a picture of a lady with a headphone on saying, "Do you want to talk?" And you can actually call her and tell her as much as you know, and she'll try to help you find a trial. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, one of the things that's getting so much publicity, I mean, I've seen stories on 60 Minutes. You're even seeing now uh, TV commercials. People heard about former President Jimmy Carter's experience with immunotherapy. What is immunotherapy? Yeah, and Lee, I have never gotten so many questions about about that as I have in the last two weeks since that article and we're in there was an article in the Washington Post two weeks ago about a woman in Baltimore um, in her 20s I believe who had a tremendous response to immunotherapy so everybody here in my area in the DC metro area has been asking about this it's a great question so immunotherapy is a really exciting new type of treatment um, it is uh, broadly speaking it is a treatment that allows How's your immune system to recognize the cancer and fight the cancer? And, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, really kill the cancer. Um, a tumor, a colon cancer tumor, any tumor, uh, secretes little proteins that have the specific purpose of, of cloaking your cancer from your immune system. Sort of turns off your immune system's ability to recognize the tumor. And so these, uh, the treatments that we hear about that are immunotherapy, uh, like Opdivo and uh, uh, Keytruda, you've probably seen the commercials for those, those block the proteins that cloak the cancer. So it's sort of like they block the blockers. And they allow your immune system to really go after, uh, go after the tumor. And so this is a very exciting and new field in cancer therapy and um, and it works really well in melanoma works fairly well uh, in lung cancer and um, uh, and you know uh, kidney cancer bladder cancer and esophagus and liver you know these are there's a lot of tumors where it works fairly well in 
colon cancer has been a little bit different because the treatments that we write that we currently have that are FDA approved, which are Optivo, you know, uh, which are just a handful of of these inhibitors of the protein PD one and, and CTLA four. Uh, these treatments have not worked as well for colon cancer so far, unless you have something called microsatellite instability, and um, or MSI. And most of the colon cancer patients that have MSI have Lynch syndrome. They have a hereditary uh, colon cancer, and so um, so for those, you know, ten to fifteen percent of colon cancer patients. You know, this, these treatments work really well for, for many of them. In fact, uh, they work for most of them to some degree. So, the, so that's immunotherapy in a nutshell. Uh, immunotherapy really is a broad term that could include vaccines and many other studies that, you know, make your immune system kill a cancer. But when we're, most people right now, when they talk about immunotherapy, are talking about these new drugs and they work great for, a, for some patients with colon cancer, but um, there is a lot of interest, a lot of research going on right now, um, and some uh, encouraging results re recently uh, that make me think that this type of therapy will be useful for many more colon cancer patients that don't have Lynch syndrome in the future. So the folks like myself who are MS-stable uh more likely than not today, uh, immunotherapy probably is not a great option, but hopefully that'll change down the road. Uh, I would say that's accurate. Yeah, I would also like to mention, you know, there has been a study uh, fairly recently for people with a RAS mutation in their colon cancer, where the combination of immunotherapy and a pill that blocks uh, a part of the RAS pathway, or the, or the, it's called the MAPK pathway, um, and that they've had some success, some pretty good success in some of the patients uh, with that treatment. So I think the circle of colon cancer uh, people, colon cancer patients that will respond to these kind of therapies is growing. That's encouraging. Now, I understand uh, that you recently attended uh, the ASCO uh, conference, the American Society of Clinical Oncology. What exciting things did you hear there? Well, um, I think there was a lot of things of interest to colon cancer patients. Uh, now, I thought one of the most interesting things was a study out of Harvard um, about dietary interventions for people with stage three colon cancer in this case, but it may be relevant to, you know, any stage. They, they tested uh, the use of tree nuts. In other words, nuts that come from a tree like pecans, walnuts, and almonds, and found that people that had two or more servings a week had better outcomes, you know, among the patients with stage three colon cancer. And, you know, again, that may be useful in all stages. You know, they just happened to test it in stage three colon cancer. So that was, I thought, was one of the more interesting things uh, that I learned from this ASCO. I thought another big story was vitamin D and in, in stage four cancer patients. Hired, there was a trial also at Harvard run by Kimi Yang, uh, where they gave two different doses of vitamin D uh, along with chemotherapy and found a better outcome for those who took the higher dose. And for a long time, we've suspected that vitamin D is very effective, very useful in colon cancer. So those were the two, two of the studies that I thought were the most interesting. 
the two that grabbed the most headlines were um, about um, <clears throat> were were um, uh, number one that um, for people who have a stage three or two colon cancer and are getting chemotherapy after uh, it's removed, the cancer is removed surgically. Um, there is not much of an advantage, uh, almost no advantage, uh, for 12 cycles of chemotherapy over six cycles of chemotherapy. For years, we've been giving 12 or 24 weeks worth of chemotherapy um, with Folfox and, uh, or 24 weeks of Zelox, which is you know the pill, capsidabine or Zolota and, and oxaliplatin. And um, they had a, a pre-planned analysis of five separate trials that were looking at the same thing. How much chemotherapy is enough? Is there a difference between doing it 12 and 24 weeks? And um, it, it, it's not quite safe to say that, six, that 12 weeks is non-inferior because it didn't quite meet um, the, uh, uh, the criteria for statistical significance, but it was incredibly close. And for me, it was close enough, at least for people who are, you know, um, T3 or N1. So the, the relatively good stage three and stage twos, I will not be doing 24 weeks of chemotherapy myself. And um, for some of the really higher risk, I may continue to do that. And so that was, anyway, that was one of the studies. It was also interesting to note that in that study, they did an analysis of whether the pill capsidabine or the IV infusion 5-FU, um, you know, was better. And, uh, you know, the pill performed a little bit better. They're, they're close, but the pill performed a little bit better, which, you know, I thought was interesting also. It came from the same study. So anyway, that's one. So basically, for many patients, uh, 12 weeks of chemotherapy may not be better than 24. So I think that was a very interesting finding. Uh, again, these are for people that had the tumor fully removed and then are getting chemotherapy afterwards to sort of kill any of the residual seeds. Uh, you mean 20, 24 may not be better than 12, yeah. oh, right? Did I say that backwards? Yeah. 24, <laughs> yeah. 24 may not be better than 12. That's right. Um, so that was one, you know, that was actually uh, um, discussed in the plenary session, which is where they talk about the four biggest trials from this year. So that, that was a major headline in colon cancer. Uh, the second one that I really thought was interesting is, you know, I told you a little bit um, and I don't want to get too inside baseball here, but talked a little bit about DNA changes that cause colon cancer. And um, there's a relatively rare mutation. It happens less than 1% of the time in colon cancer. But um, it's a, a mutation in the DNA and a, a fusion of the, of the gene called NTRK, N-T-R-K. Um, and when that gets fused to other uh, other genes during cell division, you have an NTRK fusion. But anyway, this this DNA change, um, has a has a pill for it, and the pill uh, results in a really heavy response almost every time. And, and I, uh, I, we had this trial at my center, and we did enroll one colon cancer patient, and he had significant shrinkage as soon as he took it. And uh, but it turned out, as I as I read the results, that he was one of the people that responded the worst of everybody. I mean, there are some. This was just sort of like a Lazarus type drug where. People, wow. people took it and, you know, really, you know, uh, ended up feeling no symptoms in a lot of cases uh, with, you know, people that had really heavy burden of disease really, um, really just felt 
you know, almost no symptoms while they were taking the pill for an awfully long time. So I thought that was a major story also. So those were the four biggest ones to me about colon cancer. The Entrec fusion, the thought about lessening how much chemotherapy and how much oxaliplatin we get. You know, I always worry about causing, you know, the funny feelings in the nerve in the nerves and the fingers and toes. You know, sure. so less we'd sure. love to give less of that. And then um, <clears throat> you know, the uh, then the the tree nuts, by the way, peanuts and cashews don't count. It has to come from a tree. And um and then the uh, the study on uh, vitamin D. I, those were, to me, the most relevant uh, things, you know, for the year 2017. All so, sounds like exciting things, and hopefully we'll see where they uh, where those things wind up. As we wrap up, one of the questions I wanted to uh, end with is, um, you know, if someone's listening to the show. They themselves, uh, someone they care about was recently diagnosed. Um, and, and, and I remember vividly, you know, getting the news myself. You don't just, you don't take it all in the first time. Uh, you, you're a bit shell shocked at the news. Um, what advice would you give to a patient when they go back and kind of regroup? Uh, what are some of the key things you would advise them to go ask their oncologist? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. A great question. And something I try to think about a lot because, you know, it's interesting, Lee, I've never been on your side of the conversation. And so sometimes when you're on my side of the conversation, you do it every day. It, it becomes, um, sometimes you, you just sort of, as I'm talking, I realize I have no idea what this sounds like to the listener, you know, and, um, and, uh, and so, Doctors, I think, can sometimes give you a lot of information, but not tell you the things that are really most relevant to you. And so, um, so I try to think about the question you're asking. Uh, and one one piece of advice I would be, I would ask or I would give is that you all, if you can, bring other people with you to the appointment. I think that's really important because you're only going to absorb a fraction of what's said. And the more people you bring with you, the, the more that you're likely to pick up more of the things that are said. I think it's really helpful to bring people with you if you can. Um, I think that uh, the, the questions that I would ask, you know, really are, um, what is the purpose of the treatment? You know, is the purpose um, to eradicate all of the cancer or is it to, you know, sort of keep it at bay? I think that's an important question to ask. I think asking about clinical trials is important. I think uh, um, asking about resources uh, around the, me- in the medical community. You know, do you have a counselor I could talk to? Do you have a dietitian? Do you have um, maybe maybe you know for people with nausea that like to try acupuncture? Do you have somebody that does that? Um, do we have a local support group? I think those are really important questions. And um, I think. Um, I think asking about clinical trials, I think asking about immunotherapy like you did, I think that's a great question to ask. Um, I think those, those are some of the most important questions to ask. You know, you probably want to understand things, and we didn't get into it, but whether your tumor has a RAS mutation, a KRAS mutation, whether it has a RAF mutation, you know, a little bit about what 
have there been any sort of DNA studies on my tumor? I think that's an interesting question to ask. Um, I want to emphasize, though, that doing sort of a full panel of DNA on, on colon cancer tumors is not a standard of care. So if your doctor has not done it, that's, they haven't done anything wrong. But I think for people who have been through a treatment or two, it's appropriate to ask the doctor what his feelings are about those types of studies, uh, about those types of tests. So, um, you know, those are, those are some of the questions I would ask. Was that list too long? I think I listed about 12. <laughs> those are good questions. Uh, having been down that path uh, myself, uh, I think you covered it. So, well, Dr. Cannon, I really appreciate you taking uh, time this evening uh, to help educate us and, and our listeners on, on topics that are so very important. I really appreciate, uh, appreciate it. Uh, maybe we'll have you back on the show again at a later date as, as new things uh, emerge in terms of uh, treatment options and things like that. And you can help us with that, too. Well, thank you. I really, really, uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. You have a good Great evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. And thank you to our sponsors, H2ORS and Exact Sciences, for your support. The Colon Cancer Podcast is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial assistance to those affected by colorectal cancer. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone. <laughs>